Welcome to Culture Matters, a podcast exploring the intersection of faith and culture. What's up, y'all? Tamarcus Raglan here, and I need to tell you guys something. I got to go to an amazing event a couple weeks ago called Fashion for Freedom. And this is a runway show uh, that benefits an organization called My Refuge House. And today we get to talk to the director of engagement for My Refuge House, Kim Jones. Hi, Kim. Hello. And I also have on the show our producer, Chelsea Conway. What up, Chelsea? Hello. Chelsea helps Kim and um, the rest of her team with the show. And we'll be playing a few clips from the event throughout today's episode as well. For those of you who are unaware uh, to what My Refuge House does, it is an organization that is housed in the Philippines and is a part of doing work in both rescue and restoration and even prevention of uh, human trafficking. And part of what uh, Fashion for Freedom gets to do in uh, conjunction with My Refuge House is raise awareness and also raise um, resources uh, to be able to fund the work that is taking place in the Philippines. And so I've been invited into this space by Chelsea and uh, yeah, just have been so excited to see the work, Kim, that you've put in on this side and uh, just the, yeah, the awareness and the blood, sweat and tears that I'm sure you're putting into making it all happen. So thank you. I just want to start off by saying this is the second show me and my wife got to attend and we loved the first one as well. Mm. But this one. Mm. Mm. Exactly. Mm, is right. Um, knowing a little bit more about my refuge house and, and the work that they do. The way that you guys captured the story mm. of uh, what what my refuge house is actually about in the presentation of the show was like unmistakable. Um, just to to paint a picture from the moment that um, the dancers came out, and I could just you know it's it's all young girls, and you could see it was like just fear and and confusion on their faces, and then they like turning around and taking off running. Yeah. And trying to stop one another and one one. Mm. It was just I immediately had chills mm. and was like, Oh, I know what's happening. Mm -hmm. I know what's going on. I know why we're here. Um and just from that moment forward, it was like every piece to the visuals of like the water on the stage, mm -hmm. uh, as the piece continued on. There were just yeah, all of the details just helped paint the picture of um what you guys do and just furthermore yeah, it it showed me one of the things that struck me, and then I, I'll get into the questions. But I just I, I got to yeah, get it all yeah. out. Um, is <laughs> to think about those those girls who are, you know, seas and land away from us, and all of the work and the pieces and the creativity and the sacrifice and the resources that people who love what is good and hate what is evil, who uh, know, love, and trust Jesus, who uh, have a love for humanity, are willing to pour out and give out, that they'll never know, they'll never meet, and yet uh, it it is all worth it because human life and human dignity is is that important. And it it I'm always struck with how much that's on display at, at this event. And so I'm just, I'm excited. I'm excited to get to talk to you guys Kim, if you could uh, maybe start us off or continue, I guess, in this way to give us a little backstory into My Refuge House. How did you come to get involved with the organization? What's your current role there like? Just kind of tell us a little bit about about that. Well, um, I was introduced to My Refuge House through Irving Bible Church, and, and that was, gosh, 11 years ago. And at the time, um, IBC had been approached by, at, at that time, our director, Crystal Sprague, to say, would you all be interested in helping build one of our cottages? Would you be interested in helping us continue to grow the space, the campus that we already have? And and as an aside, uh, Crystal, while she was doing her um, master's degree in social work at UTA, attended IBC. She was in one of our community groups. She then went on to the Philippines and um, began working, and then that's when she approached IBC. 
And I had been working in anti-trafficking, I guess, probably about three years at that point, working um, with organizations domestically and then another organization internationally, um, had already been to Southeast Asia you know, Cambodia, Thailand, the Philippines had seen other aftercare work and saw what other people were doing. And so had a really good feel for what it looked like, what good work looked like, mm-hmm. or what good work was possible. And so um, with that being said, IBC said, hey, would you be willing to go with, we've got a couple other people, would you be willing to go to uh, Cebu and just set eyes on the space and um and see what's going on and and come back and report to us you know what what do you think and um and so i went and um and when i arrived i was actually greeted with something that i was not actually expecting i think a lot of times when people hear about trafficking right they they think about all of the sadness and the darkness mm-hmm. that surrounded it, you know, that surrounds it or engulfs it some mm-hmm. sometimes, right? And I, I believed that to be true to a certain extent. I will say that in, in times when I was in Thailand, I often would experience inside of some of the darkest places, red light districts, where I often would see the light, what I often would see what I believe to be the love of God at work in the darkest mm. places in the world, right? Mm. So I, I knew what was possible. But that road that we are located on is actually, there lots of drugs. There's mm. lots of, I mean, when I say poverty, it's poverty mm. that I think probably Westerners can't fully grasp and mm-hmm. fully understand until you actually see it. But when you get to that red gate and you and that gate opens, you realize, oh my gosh, there's something really special going on inside there. over 10 years ago, when I arrived in Cebu, somebody said, you're going to hop on a little motorcycle. If you know anything about me, I'm afraid of everything. I'm afraid of roller coasters. I'm the person at the end of the roller coaster that will say, I'll hold your stuff. Don't worry. I got on that motorcycle and I went up this road. And when I got to the top of this long, winding, very bumpy road, there was this red gate. You saw that red fabric tonight? That was actually representative of our red gate. And when I got there, that red gate opened up. And as I got off that motorcycle, I thought, who am I? I have a three-year-old little girl at home. I have an eight-year-old little boy. 11-year-old little boy at home. And here I am. Here I stand. But I got brave. I had courage. I got off that motorcycle and that red gate opened up. And I walked in. And what I was confronted with was the most joy and the most hope, to be honest, that I had ever experienced in my life. For a moment, I couldn't understand it because I knew their stories. I knew what they had experienced. I knew the trauma that they experienced. But what I also was confronted with was the joy and the hope that was there. It's a campus that's on a hill. And when you look out, you see the beautiful ocean. And when our girls look out, they see this ocean, they see the hope and the possibility that is of their lives. When I left, I realized, I thought, you know what, this is really good work. Mm. And and if you may, if, if I might, um, to kind of step back to where we began, mm-hmm. um, before I came to the picture, uh, five years before that, or probably, I guess, it would probably be like three years before that. That's when they opened. Um, We began actually from a small church Mm -hmm. out of Southern California in LA. And that church was uh, comprised of mostly Southeast Asian people, mostly from the Philippines. And that For them, they had been reading this book, and in this book, they were challenged to respond to the issue of trafficking. And after they read this book, they were like, well, 
What do we do? Mm -hmm. And so they reached out to an organization at that time that they knew of that was doing work abroad, outside of the United States. And that organization came to the church and said, hey, we would love for you to help us. And and I think in very simplistic ideas, I think they may, might have thought, oh, we'll pray, we'll do whatever we can in that yeah. way. But this organization said, no, we need you to open up a, um, at that time, what is a drop-in facility mm-hmm. in Cebu, which Cebu City 15 years ago was considered the sex tourism capital of the world. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, and so what that organization had not realized is that the the largest group of people inside that body of of believers was Mm -hmm. actually Filipino. Hmm. And so when they were asked to do this, the the church immediately said, well, okay, let's do it. And at the same time, they had also been saving money to build a building. Now, we all know how expensive it is to to buy anything in LA, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Much less a building. Mm -hmm. Um, And so instead of continuing to think about using the money for that, they took that money, and that's how my refuge house started. We started as a drop-in facility in Cebu, and from that point, purchased land, and um, and then the three, four years later is when I came in, and IBC actually also came in as a to help fund and and help doing some of those that building. Mm-hmm. So that's that's sort of the origin story of the of of my refuge house as well as mine regarding yeah. my refuge house. Mm. I don't know if I know this, but. What drew you to do trafficking work from the beginning? So I was watching this series. It was not a Christian series of any sort, but it was an interview. Um, it was an interview series. I don't know remember remember what platform it was on, mm-hmm. but it was there was a um, a celebrity to interview somebody who they admired greatly, mm-hmm. and um, and Ashley Judd. Ashley Judd was the celebrity, and, oh, I, and yeah. I loved Ashley Judd. And um, and I and I saw something about she was going to be interviewing Madeline Albright because mm. um, she had been Secretary of State, and they did this this interview. And I thought, wow, this is really cool. Mm-hmm. And but when that interview happened, one of the things that they talked about was human trafficking. Mm. And I had never heard about human trafficking. This mm-hmm. was 15 years ago. So you and I know you all have experienced people right now that you'll say, "Do you you know about human trafficking, right?" And they will say, "No, I don't even know what you're talking about." So imagine 15 years ago, these mm-hmm. two women were talking about this issue, and I, I, I thought, "No, surely not." And then you mm-hmm. know, whenever anybody mm-hmm. wants any information, where do we all go? We go to the internet, right? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and that could be good or could be bad. And so from there, I just started really researching. Um, and I, for me, since being at, as a child, as a young child, I really have always had a heart for the world. Mm. And so it, it, it actually made sense. Mm-hmm. Um, it really did. It made sense when I heard them say this and when I began to research and then understanding how God has made me and has God wired me and the things mm-hmm. that he's put into me, it all just made sense. All mm-hmm. the pieces and parts actually fit together. Mm-hmm. And then I was just on a journey mm-hmm. from there and mm-hmm. ended up in places I never, never expected. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. It's amazing how God works in that way. I guess kind of piggybacking off of what you've already said of 15 years ago, you know, not even knowing about the issue, even to this day, a number of people either not knowing or I would think probably maybe still a large portion of people who have some sort of knowledge of it, but mm-hmm. it's like the kind of knowledge where they're like, oh, well, that's like in taking, you know, the movie, somebody, you know, you're not paying attention and you get snatched mm-hmm. on your vacation kind of a thing, which is can definitely happen. But there's there's so much more to what actually is is happening in that. Could you maybe just create a fuller picture of the issue mm-hmm. for those who maybe are unsure um, of what what human trafficking means and kind of the breadth of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I would say that first that trafficking is like many crimes in the world. Um, they evolve. They become something so mm-hmm. as to mm-hmm. to protect what it is that they're doing, right? Mm-hmm. And so it evolves wherever it needs to go to make the more money. You know, more more money, right? What I would say to people, and and I always try to lead with this. Do not be afraid. Mm-hmm. You know, we we look through Scripture time mm-hmm. and time again, and Jesus, we see him say to us, "Do not be afraid." You know, I, I think he says that because he knows we we tend to be fearful people, mm-hmm. right? And we need to be reminded, mm-hmm. "Don't be afraid." 
And, um, and so I always like to lead out with that. So when you think of trafficking, it is, it is a worldwide epidemic, right? It mm-hmm. is a worldwide problem. I think often most people, when, when they hear trafficking, I think they, they see it as just sex trafficking. Trafficking. Mm-hmm. What we need to understand is that it is a wide array of issues. Sex trafficking just being a piece to the bigger mm-hmm. puzzle pie, whatever you want to, mm-hmm. however you want to envision it. But we have we have issues throughout the world that the Imago Day is violated mm-hmm. in any form, fashion, or way possible, and that means whether it's through sex, labor slavery you name it if if money is to be made someone will mm-hmm. uh, use and abuse and see people right as as commodities right yeah. you're just a means to my end right mm-hmm. um and so so there's there's a wide array that of types of trafficking throughout mm-hmm. the world the the area that i've spent most of my time is um sex trafficking and sexual exploitation mm-hmm. what i would say to people is that what breeds this, if you will, are systems that are broken. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing is, is that what we struggle with in Cebu is not all that much different than what is people that are fighting the issue of trafficking, sexual exploitation, sex trafficking in the United States. It's mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. all that different. And the reason why is that when you have individuals who have vulnerabilities, right, yeah. it, 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 sets them up in ways that I think people don't understand. Mm-hmm. So when you have lack of education, scarcity. when you yeah, food yeah. scarcity, what a roof over your head. Mm-hmm. You have food scarcity. You have a situation where perhaps there's generational abuse that's happened in the home, whether it's physical, sexual, um, emotional. Mm-hmm. What it does is it creates sort of a perfect storm and predators um, know that, right? Mm-hmm. They're very smart. They know who who to prey on, right? They mm-hmm. they see, mm-hmm. they know. They're very yeah. smart. And so, as trafficking goes, when it, when I think about sex trafficking or sexual exploitation, I I look around and I think, okay, where do we where do we see holes? Where do we see where children need to be supported, right? Mm-hmm. Or families being supported? How do we help to come alongside people so as to make sure that we sort of shore it up, right? Mm-hmm. We begin to create roadblocks for the perpetrators to then prey on the vulnerable. Yeah. And um and so in Cebu, for example, um prevention for us has been key in terms of education, not just education regarding, okay, this is what trafficking is, right? Like here are all the things that trafficking looks like, you know, with the the definition, the UN definition or, you know, whatever. But it's also understanding what does it mean for someone to violate me? What does that look like? What is that, you know, all of those questions and, um, and, and, one of the things that we often talk about in my refuge house is that that in the Philippines there is a culture of silence. Mm-hmm. And what we are trying to combat is that culture of of silence mm-hmm. because that that in and of itself is one of those kind of it's it's enculturated, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's a mm-hmm. system that has to be broken down. It's a system that says, you know what? That we have to we have to do something different. And I would say that also in the United States, I think that there is a similarity in so many ways that we have to be willing to talk about the things that are ugly and not be afraid, right? Yes. You know, not be afraid of mm-hmm. it. I think often the church, mm-hmm. unfortunately, mm-hmm. has been the place where we don't want to talk about the taboo things like sex. Mm-hmm. We don't want to talk about those things mm-hmm. because that makes us feel uncom- uncomfortable. But what it does is it be- it breeds a culture of silence, and that breeds mm-hmm. these kinds of issues. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I would also say that... In, in Cebu, and like I said, 15 years ago, it would have been considered the sex tourism cap- capital of the world, right? People mm-hmm. flying in, Westerners typically, and and 
they fuel the system, right? Mm-hmm. It, they are the those that are the, that are purchasers, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I say Westerners. That means Europe. Yeah. That means um, United States, Canada. Also Australia. means Australia, New Zealand, um, and then we have other uh, other countries like Japan and Korea mm-hmm. that are that are those that um, consume. Those mm-hmm. are the consumers. Those are the perpetrators. Fifteen years that were coming into. Uh, the Philippines. That's changed now because there is the, the internet mm-hmm. and also people are trying to get more clever and how do we hide it, right? Yeah. And yeah, instead yeah. of hi- you don't, you no longer have to show up live. Mm-hmm. It's all done online mm-hmm. and it's called online sexual exploitation of children and that's where we are now mm-hmm. as, as an organization is now dealing with that issue in and of itself. And so I'm, I'm saying all of that mm-hmm. because those that are are selling the children are the people they know, the people that are they're yeah. closest to. Yes. And so going back to when you said, you know, uh, people being snatched off the street right. or taken off the street, yes, that can happen. But in my experience and mm-hmm. the things that I know, it's the people that you know that are your closest yes. to. It's yeah. the people that... You might not suspect in the sense of, oh, wait a second, I didn't understand that yeah. that's what was happening with that relationship. Yes. But I think yeah. it's because we don't talk about things. Yes. And mm-hmm. um, and then also the going back to systems being broken, you've mm. got you, you may have a single mother who has a live-in boyfriend, and that boyfriend yeah. then takes advantage. So in in similar ways that that this is showing up in the United States, it shows up in similar ways there, maybe for a little bit different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, there are things that mirror one another, and I could go on and on and on. No, I think sorry. that's really well, helpful. It, it yeah. really is. Yeah. To bring the picture together, right? It's less of the kind of thing where the random person coming in and 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 swooping somebody off of the street, and it's more like the struggling family, mm-hmm. the the mom, the dad, the uncle, who is like, "Hey, I love you. Like, don't you want to help the family?" Uh, we could do. We'll just do it. Yeah. We could just do this this one time. That could do right, and then that turns into it's it's that kind of subtle. Yeah. Um, thinking of what you said of you know defining what is abuse because yeah the the internal picture to the yeah. to the person being uh, abused might be like well I was just trying to help my family right. like they this was just because they love me like they weren't trying to hurt me mm-hmm. oh I could only imagine with things moving online like mm-hmm. well it wasn't like it wasn't the real thing like mm-hmm. it was just a picture it was just a video and it's. It's that kind of subtle mm-hmm. manipulation that yeah. then multiplies into the, these bigger Just issues. Well, and I, I think you hit, yeah, I, and I think you hit the nail on the head with the fact that so often, even with our girls mm-hmm. in in Cebu, is that it is a child um, really trying to do what their parent wants. Mm-hmm. Um, the Philippines is is such a familiar yeah. culture. You know, it's the idea that my parent, if if I'm gonna I'm gonna do what my parent needs for me to do. Right. Um and and it's I I think sometimes when people think of the parents, there can potentially be this I th- they think of them in disgust. They think, mm. oh gosh, how how could you do that? How could you do that? And and my response is that it's it's a horrible thing. It's mm-hmm. a terrible thing. Mm-hmm. But what we've seen and what we've learned is that that when people are in such dire straits and in mm-hmm. dire need, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they will they will do things that are outside of our understanding, yes. right? Do yeah. and behave in ways that are absolutely un- out outside of our understanding, yeah. and um, and so when the, the kind of poverty that mm. someone deals with and thinks, how am I going to do X, Y, and Z? That means, how am I going to feed my family? Yes. Right, family, right? right? Um, and then in addition to that, when you compound that with perhaps the idea that there was generational abuse. Mm-hmm. yeah, A lot of times our parents, and most of the time it's mothers, mm-hmm. will say, well, I didn't know that was wrong, or yeah. I didn't know, you know, and it it has so much to do with making sure that people are educated, mm-hmm. that people understand, also redefining what love actually is, right? Yeah, that's... People, someone's definition of love, like mm-hmm. our definition sitting in this room True. could actually be a little bit different, right? True. But at the same time, I think we are all, we all find ourselves on the same page of understanding what healthy mm-hmm. love is. Unfortunately, there there are many people that that are around us 
around the world in the Philippines that the definition of love has a lot of baggage. Yeah, baggage mm-hmm. that destroy people. Yeah. And hurt people. That's something that is hard for us to grapple with. But I'm glad you oppose the issue in that way, because I think it, it is easy to look at, you know, maybe the families that are involved as we're learning about the issue and saying, like, mm-hmm. who could do that to a child? And the, the biblical picture that came to mind was like uh, Hagar and Ishmael. Mm-hmm. It's like she doesn't sit Ishmael out at a distance to die because she hates her child. This is a mother who has no means whatsoever to protect, to feed, to care for and it's like, I just, I can't stand to hear him scream any long. Like, it's hard to fathom that kind of desperation. Mm. Um, and it's like, that's the kind of thing that that's moving people. You know, not all. Are there just some people who are pred- sure? Um, but there are also many who are who are in desperate circumstances. And I think it's important to to hold that tension. I want to ask a question, something that you you alluded to now and you kind of you said it during the show and, and moved by it. And I was like, hmm. But you said uh, English is a common language in uh, the Philippines, and that increases their susceptibility. One of the things about Phil- the Philippines that makes it so susceptible is the fact that in the Philippines, English is spoken as much as Tagalog, a Cebuano. And so that means there is more susceptibility because of those that are of us that are in the West. We have a responsibility to respond to this issue. Could you expound a little bit of uh, how that is? And then I want to rope that into most of the time when I'm uh, seeing this work happening, it is mostly championed and in, in run by women. And I feel like, and I'm sure you do too, that this isn't an issue that is just overseas. And I also feel like this is not something that is just important for women, but there's a role for men uh, to play and be involved in this as well. Could you maybe just speak to and expound on that a little? So yes, to go back to language, um, because everything is online, um, mm-hmm. or a lot of is it online. Uh, uh, online um, English is so it's just part of the culture in, in the Philippines and uh, it's taught in school. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so because of that, it, it sets things up a little bit easier for those to sell online. Mm-hmm. It just makes it easier. What we're up against, and this is just mm-hmm. being truthful, is that we're up against pornography. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're up against the fact that now no one sees it. It's in secret. Yeah. And so I would say here in the United States, as well as what I think what we're doing in the Philippines, Mm. I think we have to start with our children. There's a reason why for so, I mean, so many reasons why, you know, now we're saying kids shouldn't even be on social media until they're Mm -hmm. at least 16, right? Or have a device Mm -hmm. in their hands. Well, it's so readily available. And I think we've got to start thinking in ways that I think prevent it Mm-hmm. At this point, yeah. that's, that that at least we can create again. Going back to that, how do we how do we create roadblocks? Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do we need to put in place to to bolster them? Right? To yeah. help them, to undergird them, to give them a strong foundation. I think that's the way we look at it. I think also, I, I think we have a culture here in the United States that I think sometimes we go, boys will be boys. That's what men do. Mm-hmm. Their sexual appetite and yada yada yada. And I just and I I think the church perpetuates perpetuates that. I I genuinely think it because I think that we we tell our boys, hey, we know you can't control yourself, so girls control yourselves. We tell that's what we're doing. We're giving mixed messages. Mm-hmm. And we ha- and it's not okay. Sorry, I'm getting riled up now. It's it's not okay. And I think we have to begin the conversation with our children mm-hmm. early on and I and I think we look at both boys and girls and say, okay, how do we how do we treat them in such a way that says, you know what, there's vulnerability for each. Yes. Yeah. There's yeah. vulnerability for each. And, and value. And value. And bring that right? Imago Day language yeah, in. And, and and, yes, and a- absolutely. I think it's 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 protection. I think it is understanding who God says they are. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's understanding. Man, I could go on and on and on all day. I remember thinking when I was in Cambodia years ago. I thought, you know, I wish, I wish that 
people just, un- if they just understood the Omago Day, things mm. would be different. If they just mm. understood that. I don't think that was a fully formed thought. And the reason why I don't think it was a fully formed thought is that because I think that we have to be a part of changing things. Mm-hmm. We have to be a part of how do we look at what is it, it's a it's a it's a all hands on deck thing, right? Yes. Like when we look at our children, we have to give them that idea of you are made in in the image of our God, right? Our creator. But then at the same time, here are concrete things that you need to be doing as a person. You have God has given us the minds to think, the ability to work, and we need to do those things. And I think it's a combination. Yeah, it's a it's a collective effort. It's like that. It's an idea of like you can be really um, hands offish in Christian culture because you can be like, well, God's in control and all that. But it's like, but God has enabled us and given us a, a purpose. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. like making disciples yeah. and like yeah. unpacking what that actually is, is a lot of the things you're saying. It's like, it means you're going and participating in bringing shalom to the world, right. you know, yeah. to mm-hmm. borrow from your husband. Yeah. It's like participating in the work that God is doing mm-hmm. and finding a way to to be mm-hmm. yeah. the arms and the hands and the feet of the body. You well, know? and that, that's what I was just thinking. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you got riled up because I think it's, I think it's important. And I think uh, as a, as a, man who yeah pornography use was a huge was such a huge part of my story for so long and imagine to a to a listener uh there's so many different ways to be responding shame guilt mm-hmm. overwhelmed is it all my fault go how can i and i i think there's i think there's a number of ways that we we can think about it poorly i think one of the biggest lies um that often is believed when it comes to pornography to your point of the secrecy is uh, this is just affecting me. Yeah. Um, it's it's only hurting me. Yeah. And that just it could not be further from the truth. Is there is there forgiveness in Christ? Is there redemption in Christ? One hundred percent, yes and amen. And not just with this, but in most most other cases, because sin ter- it 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 mars our relationship with it God. Ruptures. It mar- it ruptures our relationship with others. Is that uh, there? There is forgiveness. There is redemption, and our sin really has consequences. Yeah. Um. And yes, the that that collective use, like you say, like it drives. Um. It drives this. Um. This this need or this industry. Um. That that has made the the human person and made sex a commodity. And I think. Uh, something that um, is is important to think too, because you could also think, well, all right, if I stop, there's so many other people that are still engaged. Like, is it really going to make a difference? And I think that's a that's also a poor way to think about it, man. I, you know, if we want to look at a a, a biblical uh, a character who I feel like embodies this, and obviously not perfectly, but it's like. You know, I think of of Joshua looking out at the people of Israel, mm. you know, worshiping idols and stuff. And he's like, listen, if all of y'all want to go that route, mm-hmm. do do your thing. Me and my house won't participate. Yeah. Um, we're going to worship the Lord. Mm-hmm. And it's like, man, uh, what an opportunity for us as, you know, I'm I'm giving a shout to men. Men who, mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. believe, know, trust, and obey Jesus to say, hey, the whole world might participate in this, might perpetuate it. It might never go away. Mm-hmm. But that's for me and my house. Yeah, yeah, that's a good we, perspective. We won't participate. That's good. Um, that's good. And to trust and believe God enough, yeah, um, that there is a that there's there's power. Not in my act of obedience, but that God is powerful and strong enough um, that He works even in our meager offerings to yeah. do great things. Yeah. Um, and and that goes in so many different ways that we engage. And so I just. Uh, yeah, I want to encourage if you're hearing mm-hmm, and that's yeah. mm-hmm. you're in that is like receive that in that way. Like, hey, we don't have to buckle under. We don't have to be afraid. Yeah, we mm-hmm. don't have to buckle right. in shame. Like, yeah. we can we can trust and be forgiven. We can cast our sins. We yes. can cast um, our darkness. Yes, and we also have a role and an opportunity to play. Um, well, to, yeah. to to add to what you said, our tagline for my refuge house is restoring one life at a time. Yeah, mm. and for us, it really is about the one. Yeah. Mm. And um and so what we always want people to remember is that I, the the problem can seem so vast, right? Mm-hmm. And seems so overwhelming. But it really is about the one mm-hmm. the, the one person, right? And I, I I just so appreciate you saying that because 
Because God does want to restore our lives, mm-hmm. right? He wants to restore the broken places. Yes. He wants to mend those places, yeah. right? He wants to make all things new. Right. And to me, in light of that, that I mean, that that's that's ultimately what he's going to do anyway, right? Yes. Right. And so th- that's the work that we're after, yeah. right? Um, that's the work we're after restoring that one girl. Some people say, well, gosh, can you not add more and add, you know, there's so many more. And, and yes, there are so many more, mm-hmm. but, but we're so, we're so glad and that, that we have this ability for the one, mm-hmm. yeah. for the one, you know, and I think that goes even on the demand side. I, I think when there's that one man, right, mm-hmm. that's making that decision, that it matters. It yes. it really does. It has a ripple effect. Yeah. Just as saying yes has a ripple effect, so mm-hmm. too saying, saying no, no yeah. has a ripple effect. That's a word. Can you um I think it would be helpful maybe to just talk a little bit about how my refuge house does that. Like I know from knowing you, like um you guys aren't there are other organizations that are maybe going, Hey, we found we've yes. we've uncovered this um uh, you know, family situation, this girl's been trafficked. Can we send her to you? Do you have space? And then you receive the person, you know, all of that. Can you just maybe like unpack how that works? Yeah. So um, we work really closely with uh, social services, Mm -hmm. you know, would be like our version of like CPS here Mm -hmm. in the United States, um, law enforcement. And so there's organizations that really are, are sort of those hands that they're, they're, actively involved sort of league in the legal side, right? Mm-hmm. To find out, okay, where are the hubs? Where are the places? Where are things going? And so as soon as they find um they find someone, then they know we may have an open opening in our in our space, you know, whatever. But the way that we go about doing it is is maybe a little bit different than others. Um, a lot of times um, when it comes to social services um, and a child is rescued, the idea is we're going to put you this place and you don't have a choice. Okay. Mm-hmm. And a long time ago, we realized that with our girls, choice has already been taken from them. Mm-hmm. And they need the opportunity to make a choice for themselves. Mm-hmm. That actually is is part of their journey of healing, right? Um, that that what has been taken mm-hmm. has been given back. And so when we are, um, you know, called and said, you know, hey, we've got somebody who we would we want to place with you, we have a whole protocol that we walk through. And that protocol is, um, you know, our director will meet with this child and talk about my refuge house and what we do and how, how it looks mm-hmm. and things like that. And, and then that child... It, w- is said, you know, we tell that child, you have an opportunity. Would you like to join us? We would love to have you. Mm. If you choose not to, then um, we would love for you, though, to go through a series of different things before you make your final decision. Mm. So after that first meeting, and that's not actually at the campus, that meeting will be in, you know, in Cebu. Um, and if the child's like, mm, you know, I don't know if I want to do that, um, then what we do is we, we one of their peers, one of the girls who's actually in the program, actually I think two peers will come back mm-hmm. and visit and they do a one-on-one. Mm-hmm. They just talk together and um, that child has the ability to ask whatever questions they want. Mm-hmm. And then we circle back around and we say, you know, would you like to join us? And if they still say no, (laughs) we really want them to join us. But if they still say no, then we say, okay, let's do a visit to the campus so that you can see what it's like. And if that at that point they still say no, we we say that's your choice. That's we're we're okay. But always know Mm -hmm. you can come back. You can come back to us. We 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 still. We have open hands with that, yeah. and um, in most of the time, at least by the time they they talk to their peers to peers, um, they end up choosing to come because one of the things that's really important to the work we do at my refuge house is education. A lot of our girls come in with less than a first grade education. Mm. Um, and so they're actually coming in and they're receiving something that they can't receive anywhere else. As you know, in the Philippines, in order to attend school, you have to be able to buy your uniforms, yeah. buy your books. It's you not have public to, school. It's like not. We know. It's not like.
like here in the United States. And so it truly is a privilege to mm-hmm. be able to receive education. Mm-hmm. And so they know that. And mm-hmm. they it is it is quite the the gift to them that when they come. Um, but it, it's it's really it's hard work. Yeah. Um I I would like to say that every story ends like a fairy tale. When our girls, when they come to us and and they are there, they're also still children. Mm -hmm. They're teenagers. I have teenagers. Mm -hmm. I know how teenagers can be. Sometimes they don't want to. They don't want to do anything. They don't want to. They want to walk their way. They want to go their way. You know. And so what we have had to do is had to have really open hands with them. And I don't mean like do whatever you want. But sometimes they come to a point where they're like, I want to get out of here. I want. I just want to leave. I want to go back to what I know. What I know. To what I know. Can you share a story? Um, I'll share Ashley's, the one that mostly the Roseanne. So Roseanne is um, our director, and um, Ashley came to us. I think Ashley is now. 23. And she came to us as a really little girl. Probably, I think maybe she was eight, maybe 10 when she first came to us. Mm-hmm. And and I will say, um, you don't want to institutionalize children. But she was with us for a long, that amount of time. So we have to really, as an organization, be very cognizant as to not institutionalize mm-hmm. children, because yeah. that, that that's an, an issue all in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Uh, but Ashley was with us. Um, she did not have parents, mm-hmm. and so the organization and we have we have um, Mama Gaga. Everybody's mm-hmm. a mama, yeah. right? And it's M- Mama Roseanne. Yeah. Everybody plays that part, right? Um, right? Very familiar inside our walls mm-hmm. as well. And um, Ashley moved through high school, and then she dis- she realized she wanted to be an architect. She's fantastic. Like the way she draws is so amazing. And I remember seeing this and I thought, man, she should be an architect. It's fantastic. And so she applied for university, got got into school. She got into an architectural program, which was, it's very difficult, like just to finish school and then to get into university and um, and so one of the things that we do offer our girls is uh, scholarships to university. If you Listen, mm-hmm. if, if you can do it, we're going to support you. We're going to yeah. walk alongside you. So she got into school and kind of the wheels fell off with her. Yeah. Um, and she ended up having to leave school. And through that, one of the things that we talked through this with her was that there are consequences to your actions, right? Mm-hmm. You know, always know that we are here for you. But also know because you made these choices, you're going to have to lose your scholarships. Mm-hmm. But understand that that doesn't change our love for you. Mm-hmm. That doesn't yeah. change yeah. who we believe you to be and who you know us to be. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, um, she ended up, uh, and this was, I guess, it was before COVID happened. Mm-hmm. She basically started living on the street. Mm-hmm. And um, and when that last conversation happened, Roseanne said, I am always here for you. Call mm-hmm. me. I am always. But we always put it in their in their laps, you know, back we're here. Just mm-hmm. let us know. And so with that being said, um, it, there came a point where she was in dire need, mm-hmm. I mean, struggling. And and she called Roseanne and she said, I need you. And Roseanne said, come. And so um, this, Roseanne has the funniest story because she was coming to the office. We have an office off campus. Mm-hmm. Um, and she stood outside the door and she said, um, and she just was so afraid to walk in. Mm-hmm. She was so afraid because of where where have I been? Mm-hmm. And when she walked through that door, it was time had never changed. Mm-hmm. We see you. We love you. We don't care where you've been. Mm-hmm. We don't care what you've done. And so at that point, um, they um, Ashley actually started working in our office. We gave her a job. And, um, and her whole thing was, she asked, she asked, she asked Roseanne one day, she said, do you believe in me? Mm. And Roseanne said, I believe in you. And she said, that's all I needed to know. I know, I am so glad I know. And I'm going to prove to you that I'm going to get back into architecture school. Mm. I'm going to go back. And she has worked diligently. She's now back in architecture school. Mm. It's not easy. And I, and I think what, when I talk to people about this, what this looks like, mm-hmm. 
I think, you know, businesses, when they give money to some, some something, they want to see, give me all the numbers of success rate. But it's it's hard to measure. Yeah. You can't measure that on, you can't measure a, a person's life Mm-mm. on paper. And so for us, there is this realization and recognition that our girls sometimes take three steps forward, two steps back, vice versa. Yeah. And it, um, and for for us, it is to stay engaged, to stay available, um, and to be the peace in their life that is always this stability that says it reminds them, hey, what we what you learned here, we believe mm. it is true. It is true, and so. Um, Walking the road of trauma is not easy. Mm-hmm. It is not easy. So every kind of success, you know, I think here's the other thing that I think sometimes hard for people to kind of come to grips with. You know, some of our girls will end up being single moms. Mm-hmm. And to some that feels, oh, that that's not, that's not a success. She's now a single mom. And the way we see that is how is she parenting that baby? Yeah. And what we always see that is so beautiful is that they they begin to change the cycle. Yeah. And they begin to do things differently with their own children. They begin to love in a way that they never received love. Yeah. And for us as an organization, we say, oh, that's it. That's it. And they will say to us, this is not going to happen to her. Mm-hmm. This because I'm doing things differently. And we see it. We mm-hmm. see what they're doing. So it... It is hard, hard work for our for our, our our people that are on the ground, and there are days that because there is this struggle, right? Of, yeah. of, I mean, we're all human, and then when you compound that with trauma, it it, it is not easy. But um, one of our um, uh, one of my colleagues, Jed's, who I love, she's I think she's thirty, but she is this fantastic just young woman who has just so uh, much energy and love for my refuge house. And, you know, she said some, some days I think the futility, it, does this, what does this mean? What is it? Does it all matter? And, and she said, but then when I look at these girls' lives mm-hmm. and I look at each one as individuals and I think it mm-hmm. all matters. It's restoring one life at a time. Yeah. It's about the one life. And so I can't say that enough to people is that it's it's looking at just one piece at a time because every piece does have a ripple effect. Mm-hmm. Every every piece of that puzzle, every person, every person matters. I want people to know and I want people to understand the work that's going on there is transformative and restorative and that girls' lives are being changed and that communities are being changed and families are being changed and a country is being changed. All of it is important. All of it matters. These girls you see here tonight, these models you see here tonight, the hair and makeup you you don't actually see tonight, it all matters. Some of us, we live in such abundance that we don't even realize that $10 matters, but in fact it does. You all know, you go to Starbucks, you know how much those coffees cost. What I want you to think about is not that just $10 matters at this time, but $10 matters months after month after month to this work. We depend on your $10. So what I would suggest, if you're saying, hey, I've only done, I don't know what it means to give. I would say, hey, take a chance on us. Give $10 a month. It's not just important to our girls. It's important to their families. When Roseanne said that there is work that we're doing, not just with our girls, but we're doing with our families, it is a long game for us. I think some people think that trafficking is one and done. We rescued, you're done. It is not, it is only where it begins. It is the long game for us. When we move forward, there are so many things that we have to do and are actually called to do. 
So I would ask you, I would encourage you to think about tonight, you're here for a reason. You're here for a reason. Even if it's that you just have become aware of this issue right now. So I'd ask you tonight, please, I know this work. I have given my life to this work. Consider tonight, give what you have, even if it is the smallest of things, to the work of this life-giving, transformative, hope-filled organization. I, I listen to the story and I'm like, there's a way that we can imagine the work being like restoring someone from a broken past to a perfect future. And that's not the case on this side of, of eternity. Uh, but we have the opportunity to uh, restore someone in a broken past. Like for her to see brokenness in her past of, of wrong done to her and then to be restored and uh, to experience having done wrong on her own and still being restored. And just this, yeah, that the, the God, God's in the business through his people of, of loving us, rather it's um, wrong that, that has been done to us, rather it's yeah. wrong that we've done to ourselves or to others, that all of it brought brought into the light. Uh, none, none of it is too big for, for God to uh, to accomplish or, or work on. And yeah, there, there's something, I think all of us, regardless of where our stories maybe find themselves, like we can, we can empathize with that. Um, and we can even find uh, grace and comfort in God in that, that that's all, that's all of our stories mm -hmm. in some ways of a, a combination of, of, of sin done to us and, and sin that, that we've perpetuated and needing rescue from it all. Um, and so, man, so grateful just for the, the opportunity to have a conversation uh, with you about both of these amazing uh, organizations that are working uh, together. Hopefully, for those of you who've been listening, what, what you've got an opportunity to hear is really the the power and work of the gospel um, through people who have enough faith in God and, and trust in what he can do enough uh, that uh, I just think of the things you said, that there's you can't put a you can't put a price or a measurement on on human dignity and uh, the the value of one life. Uh, it is, it is it is worth all of the work done to rescue one man. That is that is such a uh, the heart of God on display. To think of uh, the work that can be done, not just there, but how all of us play a role. Whether it's in uh, educating ourselves and those around mm -hmm. us, in uh, working to cease to perpetuate the cycle. Whether it's in how we're partaking in it, or how we're um, speaking and even perpetuating bad norms um, as we're discipling other young men and women, uh, just in our own churches and discipleship groups, and all of those pieces play a part to chipping away. Um, at this thing that is that is running rampant in our world. And so, um, yeah, again, Kim, so grateful for this time with you and educating us today. It And, and I would just add that the work that's happening at uh, my refuge house, is, it really is Jesus' work. Hmm. And Jesus did things and behaved in ways that turned the world upside down and loved people that didn't it's just Jesus work. Mm. And so it's hard work and um, but it is it is really good work that I believe um, God is continuing to bless. So thank you for for having me. I enjoy talking about this really good work. Mm. So thank you. Well, it's been an honor. Thank you for listening to Culture Matters. This episode is produced by Chelsea Conway with editing and support from the Good Podcast Company. If you're a regular follower of the podcast, we would love to hear from you. You can message us on social and check the show notes for more information on how to best connect with us, as well as connect with our guests and ways to support their work. See you next time.